All right, let's pray, let's go, let's pray, let's go. Here we go. Let your loins be girded, your lamps burning, Luke 12. So thanks, Pastor Nelson, for all that this morning. Almighty and everlasting God, you've promised us a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And we beg you now, direct us by your Spirit, that we wait faithfully for the coming of your Son and with holy lives go forth to meet him. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, we'll give money today to... Money last week went to pads. I think I forgot to say that. Money this week is going to... Christmas sharing. Christmas sharing. Couldn't do better than Christmas sharing. So, you know, rev up your Christmas sharing thing now. Um, yesterday, Carol told the new members class that warm clothes is going to be a priority. So coats, gloves, hats, any size, because apparently people get cold in all sizes. So... Um, <laughs> You know, bring the stuff that you would be willing to wear yourself, you know. Um, and same with food and same with all kinds of other things. Karen Crawford, do you need a new coat? What do you, what's up? What's going on? That looks like a nice coat. What? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really, that's interesting because when I'm at the horse races and I bet two dollars on number seven, and I say I'm a pastor, they often give me an extra ticket too. So apparently, this Jesus thing works in all venues. Way to go, Karen Crawford. Uh, so uh, all right. So from now on, just slip that little hey, I'm I'm working for the baby Jesus, and you get double green stamps. Is that right? All right, good. And I'll try it at the jewel. You try it at the horse races, okay, Carol? We'll just call it square. Oh, Carol. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, I think we probably should just move on. Um, anything else going on? Life's good? Everybody's good? All right. Uh, so, anyway, be generous. Bring food and bring clothes, and it's going to be great. So, all right. Uh, we spend a lot of time, you know, having a big party over the summer. There's so many fun things, Fourth of July and steak fries and Oktoberfest and all that. But now, you know, serious business, here we go. So let's do some good for other people. All right. Um, I just want to get you to relax. Uh, this morning was very nice. If you were at 8.30, that was very nice. There's always the risk when you go a cappella with a hymn, but it worked out pretty well. By the way, you who proved your Lutheranism by going into four parts. Well done. <laughs> Uh, you know, that was, uh, so, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of fun. So it's always nice when things work out. So here's the thing. I try to think about, you know, um, why it's so hard for, for us to say, you know, why don't you come to my church? And a lot of the times it's because so many things that the church are foreboding. You know, people have this notion of Jesus that he's quite judgmental, which it turns out he's not. I mean, he'll only be your enemy if you make him be your enemy. But he would really prefer to be your friend. I mean, he won't make you invite him to, to the party, but he would love to be at your party. So... You know, part of it, and then part of it is us. But, you know, the interesting thing is, it's so much fun to be here, and it's been so much fun to be here for so long. And things like this morning, you know, it's just so nice. And then, you know, the cleppers, the baby comes, and, you know, it was just very nice. And Pastor Bukes is really faithful about taking good care of them. And the baptism was at the hospital, and now the family comes. And, you know, who saw it? And with vigor, you know, you got about a dozen people. I don't know if the cleppers are liars or not, but here's the thing. Like a dozen people said, I saw it. I'm like, really? You all saw it? But I got to ask. I got to ask the pastor later. Otherwise, the Kleppers go right under pastoral care. I mean, uh, uh, but it was like, who saw me do this? And they're like, I did. I was like, I hope that's true. And I actually think it was in their case. I think they knew it was coming. 
the baby was struggling a bit, so they did the baptism in the NICU, and I think uh, a lot of people showed up, so, and that was just very cool. I, all seriousness, it was just cool how, you know, that was embraced, and it was just, it's just a very nice thing. This should be a very ro- low-risk environment um, for people, for you to bring people, okay? So there's a range of reasons why you can relax about that, you know, and I've sort of listed them here. You know, one is um, faith is the Holy Spirit's work. And the whole notion that we can argue people into um, believing or force them into believing is completely not true. You can love people right up to the baby Jesus. And, you know, you can love people to him, um, but, you know, it's Jesus himself who creates faith and draws people in. So, you know, all you're doing is making an introduction. And it should be as simple as this, that you have, you know, um, you know, you get season tickets to the Bears games, for example, and you invite your friends. Oh, wait, different example. Okay, so you have, <laughs> sorry, tune in at 7.30. We'll see what happens. But, you know, I mean, I mean, all the things that you like, you have friends that you like to introduce them, you like your job, and you, you know, or you, all those, the church should be the same way. And, you know, good news, this is a very nice place for that. So, you know, how is it that you can invite people? Well, you know, I mean, generally, we're working with the don't be a dork rule, but you push that aside then, this is a fairly nice place to be, and it's not your work, and you don't have to worry about it, and Jesus will take care of it. The Holy Spirit's on the ball. So um, all you need to do is be kind to people, which is, you know, it takes some effort because we don't wake up kind every morning, but, you know, you're present to people, you listen to people, you're patient with people. You know, you're be kind to them. And then, you know, a good story. And I think that's the part where the better and better we get at this, five words or less, um, and no jargon, you know, and um, told without force, with, told with a question, like, is that good for you, or did that make sense to you, or Jesus told a story like that, or you're in on that, right? Or would you like some more of that? Because the whole goal is that you get a little bit of heaven on earth. I mean, really the goal is Jesus wants us home again. I mean, try to remember that when earth was created, earth was heaven too, right? It wasn't like heaven and earth and there's great, this great big distinction between them. It's like heaven and earth were together. It was one thing, right? I mean, Eden was, it was one thing. And the restoration of Eden around the Eucharist by grace with kind people, it's your chance to have a little bit of heaven on earth. Now, you know, we handle that better and worse depending on basically how savvy we are. And so we did almost, you know, we did about a month once, and I've done it to you in the past, but I'll give it to you again, this whole notion of being best. Paul says in Philippians 1, my prayer for you is that you'll do your best. And then he tells you what best is. Best is when you love people selflessly, when you're completely obedient to Jesus, and when you continue to grow up. You get better and better, you get more experience, you get wiser, you handle things better. You're willing to, you know, follow the voice into the darkness. You're willing to... Put yourself out even when, you know, it's kind of painful. Okay, so, so here's the thing. You have this great opportunity, and probably, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever been in it. Very few churches I've ever been in that have the possibilities that we have here, which is you have a lot of people who are very kind, enthusiastic, very bright, have money, have ambition, have imagination. Remember where we've been. You have this great possibility in front of you. I mean, really, 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 you couldn't have a better setup than what you've got. But the thing is, like all good things, all good things really only come to their, their fruition when they're shared, right? You're made, for, you're made for community. It's a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They live in divine love. There's three, but they're one. They're in community. They're held together by love. And so the, the church is meant to be in community, held together by love, right? 
So the question is, you know, how we can do that right now. How can we be, um, you know, how can we be the church? You know, how can we have some heaven on earth? I've said this to you a thousand times. We really can create our own reality or co-create our own reality. We've been given all the gifts we need. We can co-create our own reality. We can rejoice in the gifts that have been given if we're willing to live, and this is the key, in a way that's somewhat otherworldly. Now that heaven and earth have been separated, if we're, if, if we're willing to live still in a heavenly way even though the earth is broken, you see, that's the trick. But you can live in a Trinitarian way, a Christological way, a heavenly way. Now that heaven and earth have been separated for a time, until they come back together, you know, until the bridegroom comes, can we live in a heavenly way even while we're still on earth? Can we live by kindness? Can we live by mercy? Can we live by, can we live by love? Can we do that? You know, the possibilities are really striking. And all the, all the stuff that happens, everything from, you know, Oktoberfest where you can bring your friends to Christmas sharing, Grace School, everything that comes is only just your opportunity to express that. I mean, we don't have a lot of programs here, as you've noticed, because programs are, that's somebody else's idea. Jesus simply does good. Jesus does what is merciful. Jesus does what is right. And you're meant to see what Jesus sees and say as Jesus says and do what Jesus does. You're just meant to be merciful. And so what we do is give you targets instead. So now your target are these families from, you know, the local schools who don't have enough. And then your target in January will be, you know, Grace School downtown. And in October, your target was your friends who could come here and just have dinner with you in a riskless way. And on Sunday, the target is everybody else who's around you. As Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembly. Because you have to remember that you come to church for me. You come to church for you, but you come to church for me. And I come to church for you. I come to church for me too, but part of the reason I come to church is for you. Because if you come and you're all alone, that's not the community. That's not the church. That's not heaven. That's not heaven on earth, right? That's not Trinitarian. That's not Christological. That's not sacramental. That's not anything. You know, empty churches are, are a deep sadness because they don't reflect what's happening. So um, we have this possibility. And, and what I'm trying to do is just help us kind of get over the threshold where it's difficult for us to say to people, why don't you come to church with me? Or why don't you, you know, the little baby Jesus will sort that out for you. It shouldn't, it, shouldn't, um, you know, it shouldn't be difficult. And the good news is everything's sort of in place. We've been working at this for a very long time, and everything's sort of in place, Byron. Uh, one of the things that um, this is just a beautiful place and great people, and aside from all the benefits we get uh, coming from the, the staff that we have in place, um, to tell someone else about that sometimes is intimidating, but um, what I'm trying to share, what I do is I tell them what I like about the place. Exactly, yeah. And then if they, they really see you genuinely enjoying it, then, well, I want some of that too. Exactly. That's exactly it. So, ba- the, the, exactly. The, yes, exactly. You just describe your experience and say, and they say, I want some of that too. That's exactly right. The problem is so many churches aren't like that. Congratulations, your church is like that. I mean, there's nobody in this room you wouldn't go to dinner with and have a great time. Right. But you're going to have to work at that because really some of the people, I mean, look around later. I mean, think. <laughs> Okay, you know, I mean, I'm just, you know, just think, think it all the way through, but I think you're right, okay. Well, we've actually talked about this once before. Absolutely. But the, the Cluppers and, and I were just having a conversation. Yeah, right. And I was just telling them how much I enjoyed the church. Yeah, right. So that opened the door. And there was never a sales pitch. Yeah, right. That's right. I forgot that you were the, the linchpin there. That was very nice.
But whenever you're on the mountain, you've got to come down, right? So here's the thing, point number two, which is ick. You know, we got this ick thing going. So, and um, here's the thing. The problem is, is not everybody's going to be as nice as the Kleppers, right? I mean, the Kleppers are a respectable family. But they're actually icky people in Glen Ellen, too. I don't know if you've ever noticed. So, um... I didn't say anything about Wheaton. Four, I guess. Just, I just was using the Kleppers. They're, they're next-door neighbors. No, seriously, come on. Here's the problem. You know, so things are all going fine. And what's, what's, when everything is going fine, what's your impulse? Your impulse is what? Just leave it alone, right? You just want to leave it alone. Because you don't want to wreck it. Well, I mean, of course, the church isn't like that. The church is never left alone. So you have this double trouble of icky people are our demographic, and you're saying to people who don't have what you have, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, this is great, come on, come on. And then when they get here, you know what happens? They're still icky. And then you're like, ooh, call Butcher. There's icky stuff, like, everywhere. Because that's what I do. If there's icky stuff around, I call Butcher. That's what I do. So the thing is, is you need a guy like Butcher who's willing to engage the ick, okay? So here's the thing. How do you do that? I mean, so sinners are our demographic, right? But what happens is that we sometimes get a little nervous about sinners. Now, we're, there's a reason to be nervous about sinners, because your mother told you all that about, you know, bad apples and all that, right? Um, so I'm just to point number three. I mean, what's the problem with sinners? This is the problem with sinners. They're dangerous and they're contagious. And, you know, you knew this when you were growing up, you know. You had those kids you liked to hang out with who were just a little bit farther down the line than you were. And you were kind of secretly hoping that something might happen that would be fun, but you wouldn't get arrested for, right? And these were before the days when you would film your friends doing the stupid stuff you were doing. You would just do the stupid stuff, and then you'd go home and talk about it on the phone. You wouldn't actually film it, so when the police say, could I see your iPhone, please, then they don't really have to go to court because it's all right here, right? So, I mean, I mean that's the problem, you know. The, what's the problem? That people are dangerous. Icky people are dangerous. And if you get, this is the whole, this is the other side of the discussion we've had about immaturity and maturity and, you know, newer Christians and older Christians. And by that, I really mean people who are engaged in the faith and, you know, how things work and who gives advice and how things are, you know, how things are, are, are um, organized and who rules and who decides and all that kind of stuff. The scriptural model is very clear that mature people rule the church. The scriptural model is very clear about that, Right. Missouri Senate is not very clear about that, but the scriptures are very, very clear about that. And what happens then, you can sort of, it's like if everybody comes in and rushes to one side of the boat, right? If you're really successful and you bring a whole lot of icky people in, you better be really, really ready because if you don't know exactly what you're doing, right? Because what happens is, is any group takes the tone of um, you know, the majority. It's very rare for it to take the tone of a minority, takes the tone of the majority usually, right? So there's all these danger points, you know. Things are going so well, and I like you very much, and this is great. And if you have these people in, they could ruin it for us. Well, Jesus isn't like that. So Jesus, you know, I gave you the, the notion that sin is a bit like Ebola. This is true, you know. You have to protect yourself and treat it and not just flee from it. Sin is exactly like that. And in the same way, you know, that's why you have to, it doesn't always have to be a pastor, but if you bump into a friend who's really troubled, you help where you can, but you need to pass off if you get beyond your competence. I always say to the new pastor, and I do this myself, you know, people want to come in, for example, for marriage counseling. Like, hey, what do you think? How am I doing, right? <laughs> Pretty good, huh? 
I'm sure you're awesome. I was looking for a little more personal reflection, I think. I think I was, I was trying to look for more like a testimonial, like, you know, buy these pans and get two free. I'm like, so, so here's the thing. Well, okay, which this is why I don't do marriage counseling, right? Because this marriage is apparently beyond my competency. So I know what you, I I know what you meant. Okay. No, so here's the thing, right? You don't don't play beyond your competence. If you if you need your car fixed, don't call Butcher, call Ren. You see, I mean, there's a difference. You know, there's there's a difference in how things. So so somebody says calls and says to me, you know, we need marriage counseling. What I do is I go to my phone and I look up counselor, and then I give you about four phone numbers because that's not what I do. In the same way, if it's not what you do, you need to pass off to somebody who does it. Now that doesn't mean only pastors engage us. In fact, it won't work. There's too many sinners. We'd be overrun. It'd be like a till and the Huns coming over the ridge. But what you do need to do is engage things as far as you can engage them and then sort of pass off to people who do that. You do that in every other aspect of life. That's nothing new. Okay? So at your competence, but um, then whatever you can. And in some sense, you need to protect yourself. This is why I always get nervous about, you know, when I, you know, maybe not, you know, there's always kids who go off to camp and they, you know, decide they're going to do an exorcism or they're going to do a baptism. Or they're going to do, I'm just like, man, you have... You might as well, I just would prefer we gave you dynamite and matches. That's what I, it'd be better for you. Chances are less of somebody being damaged, right? So anyway, the question is, you probably know people who are really big sinners. And you probably know that those people often have trouble coming to church. You also probably know that their presenting symptom isn't really their real symptom. You know, often people who have really big sins in their lives and act as if they don't need the baby Jesus, or act as if they don't need church, or act as if they don't need you, that's not it at all, really. There's something else going on there. It is for some people. I mean, some people have a hard heart, and they just say, really. Or, I, you know, it was really interesting when Pastor Kitson was here from Australia. I talked to him about, you know, what his biggest trouble is. Australia is a different place, apparently. You know, and he said, one of the problems is our pastors have, preached, have, have lapsed into preaching about being good a lot. You know what the response they get is from people? I'm not really interested in being good. That's a very interesting response, right? They're just not interested in being good. It's a very interesting response. Yeah? I don't know if this has been the experience with everyone, but when I talk to people, it doesn't seem that I'm met with um, uh, this is why I don't need it or any, any kind of refusal, but a combination of laziness and what I can only term as aggressive indifference. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so uh, to, to laziness and aggressive indifference, there may be nothing you can do with that, but you can console yourself with the, with the notion that pain is a very good teacher, right? And eventually pain will get your attention. Now, the saddest thing for people like that is that, and you know this from screw tape letters, where he says, if you, get, if you bump into a really big sinner, just leave him alone, right? Because he'll wake up one morning and he'll find himself in hell. Just leave him alone, and it's all going to be okay. You know, don't, just sleeping dogs lie, right? So in some ways, this is why we don't always despair when people suffer greater suffering for their sins because sometimes that snaps them out of it uh, or at least causes them to look for more of a solution, right? So pain, you know, pain is one way that we learn. Karen. What happens when the suffering causes the person to turn in the other direction 
and say what kind of a goddess this. I'm thinking about my friend Donna, who we've been praying for for months and months and months. Right. And I mean, she has had one thing after another happen to her over the past year, and I keep thinking, and she doesn't live in the area anymore, so I can't, I can't say it often enough. But I just think the Lord is is trying so hard to get her back. And, and she is kind of saying, what kind of a God is this that will let me suffer so many things? Is she, was she, she was a Christian once upon a time? Well, um, sort of. I mean, she, she went to the state school for the blind in Missouri. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I remember this. Yes. Right. And they took them to different churches every Sunday. She been baptized? Yes. a girl. So as soon as you personalize it, you make me, now I can't be sassy. So I have to actually give you a, kind of a straight-up answer. So, so here's the thing. It's different whether people are churched or not. People who are unchurched, in some way when they come to the point of saying, what kind of a God is this, that's some progress. Because at least there's, now there's the, the possibility of a relationship with some kind of God like this. So that unchurched people would even speak that. Because when things are bumping along for unchurched people, God usually doesn't enter the conversation. I, too, am amazed at how God enters the conversation on any sort of um, national disaster. Or when anything goes beyond our control, then God is suddenly back in the picture. And then, of course, he gets blamed right away. Right? What kind of a God would do this? So the short answer, not to be too clipped or sassy, but the short answer is, um, I think, well, it's different. I mean, there'd be one, one question would be, um, do, you, do you really think there's a God? Is that an honest comment? Because if there is, then we have to talk about what God is like. And then um, the second thing would be, it, it's probably the sort of God that would want you back, but not force you to come back. And, you know, beyond that, that's why it's very different when Christians suffer. When Christians suffer, it's very, very different because, um, you know, they can feel stronger or less strong about this, but the confession is that Christ is there in your suffering with you and that ultimately when you drop dead from your pain, um, that's a really good day. So Christians have a completely different perspective, even though they're often not able to hold it across the course of pain. You know, and so, I mean, I'll just sort of give you the options. You're suffering terribly. You know, the options are sort of you rage against God like the psalmist does, and that's okay because God can take it. Or you are kind of sort of cast in great despair, and then, you know, the answer is, well, it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus because Jesus still believes in you. Or you look toward an end and, and pray for your own death, which is very common, especially in older people. Um, to which you say, well, that decision belongs to the Lord. And then they say, sort of, what do I do with my life? And the answer is, I often just say to them, well, you can spend your time praying for the pastors because they really need it, which in fact is true. Older people, when they can't do anything else, if they just spend time saying their prayers, that would be an extraordinary valuable life because most Christians don't do that. That is the one thing given to people who lie awake in the middle of the night, who grow old and have lost um, mobility, not necessarily faculties, but mobility. 
uh, that's the point where you're able to do things that almost nobody else except monks can do, which is you spend a lot of time in prayer because somebody else will be caring for your needs. And frankly, you come to the end of that and you drop dead, you're quite thankful for that. So I mean, the, the answering is very different for an unbeliever, a person who's a, a weak believer, and a person who's a strong believer, even though the experience can be quite the same. But I am, in fact, always fascinated. I should just say this. I'm always fascinated by people who say, what sort of God would let that happen? I would just say to you, whenever you hear that from now on, I would just sort that out by whether it was actually God's fault. So somebody shoots down a plane full of you know, innocent people, and they say, what sort of God would let that happen? And you're like, what? Like, you think God, like, put it and sh- I mean, you're like, planes fly into, you know, what sort of God will let that happen? You're, you're sort of like, why did God let that happen? You're like, really? Because you don't think that on any other day. You don't think any other day of your life, you don't think, why did God let that happen? Or why didn't God step in? Or why didn't, you know, you don't think that on any other day, except when things go so wrong, then it's suddenly God's fault, really? Because what that is, a rejection of human freedom. We want to be free, we want to be free, we want to be free, we want to control the world, we want to be free! Until, of course, it's so screwed up that we realize that when we're free we, we make a hash of everything. It's a really, at least in an academic way for unbelievers, it's really sort of a, it's the stupidest thing that news anchors say. They should just not be able to say that, because they don't say anything nice other days about God. I just am just stunned by, um, I'm kind of stunned by that. It has no, no sense of who God is or what he does. Yes, please. Pastor, if I may say, you know, you're tying these things in, in the simple, uh, rather simple point is uh, pain. Uh, is a great teacher. Actually, in my life has been the best teacher. Uh, and freedom gets us in trouble. Uh, and certainly don't blame God for that. It's the decisions we make as human beings that gets us in trouble. Um, God doesn't want it that way. I've challenged it for myself. Right. Unfortunately, I pulled my family along the way, and because of... Um, Stupid decisions or, or things that I've done, uh, other people suffered. Right. I don't blame God for that. Right. On the contrary, I run to God because I need help. Right. Uh, but it's, it's because of decisions I make, not because God has said I had to do something His way. I did. I decided to do it my own way. Right. And that's what's gotten me into trouble. Nine and ten yeah. times. Nine and ten times. First you're time exactly time. right. Nine and ten times we've done something stupid, yeah. and we've hurt people around us. We've hurt ourselves. Hurt people around us. Right. So I don't. What kind of God is this? Well, occasionally it does, though. Like, you, you know, if you walk out to one of your car today and get hit by a car, or people who get victimized, children who get abused, there are some places where you can say, what in the world was going on there? And there are some more serious answers for that. Yeah. But for, for, for people who are frivolous with their lives and do really stupid things, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking, just talking in general, for people who make all kinds of bad decisions day after day after day after day for years and years and years and years, and then something comes back to bite them, and then they say, where in the world was God? You're kind of like... <laughs> Well, that's true. Absolutely. I did it in my own life. You're absolutely right. I'm well, it is. And, but, but with your own life as a Christian, I, I just draw the potency of that way back. Yeah. Because um, we don't pile on, right? Right. The moment you say, I'm stupid a lot, and when I'm stupid a lot, I hurt everybody around me, which is essentially what we say in confession. I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Yeah. The answer to that is, Jesus loves stupid people. Welcome Thank to the club. Thank you for right? that. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you may be an idiot, but you're the Lord's idiot. So <laughs> congratulations, right? Yeah, right. So, so the thing is, is um, boy, we went afield a bit, but that's actually okay, because those are important things to think about. I mean, human suffering, human pain. Here's the thing. What I really want to talk about is um, sort of moving back to what happens when we bump into big sinners, because here's the thing. What happens is when things go really well for us and when our lives are sort of aligned, 
But I will say to you, just by the by, the natural stuff, Christ scripture prayer, you know, going to the Eucharist, tithing and alms, mercy, witness. Stay busy, keep the disciplines. We haven't talked about it for a while, maybe a couple of months, just keep the disciplines. Anyway, when things go, um, when, when you bump into a, a, a big sinner, there's a, there's a couple of possibilities. But often what we do is exactly the wrong thing, which is we withdraw. Or if we engage, we engage without mercy. And I just want you to see how different Jesus is than that. So go to the last page. I gave you an easier print of this woman caught in adultery. This is one of the great stories in Scripture. Um, You know, this is a story that isn't found in every Bible. It's disputed sometimes whether this should be in or out. You know, for me, I'm just like, if it's... If, if it's not a Bible, if it, Jesus didn't do this, he should have. So, you know, it's all going to be okay, right? So just, just look at what happens here. So Jesus went across the Mount of Olives, and he's coming back to the temple again. So Jesus is back and forth. Jesus is being a rabbi, back and forth, back and forth, just like he does for you. Jesus went home, and, you know, to, and then he came back, and he's here for you. And he sat down. A swarms of people came to him, which is a great way to talk about it. We've seen this a couple times. We've seen this with the paralytic. People swarm. Why? Because... In their world, you know, less, less, less technology, you know, less medication, less painkilling, less cure. People swarm. Part of, the, part of the problem with being good at things, with being able to ease people's pain, for example, being able to heal them so they don't, you know, die of an appendicitis, so they don't die in childbirth so much, or they don't, is that we're like, hey, we're really good, so maybe we don't need the baby Jesus quite so much. Back then, when, you know, those sorts of things, all the things we take for granted, you know, that we have glasses we can see, you know, that we get our teeth drilled so they don't all fall, all those things. People swarm to Jesus because he can fix them, right? He sat down and he taught them. Very patient. Look, he sat down and talked to them. He's kind with them. He sits down, he's patient, he's engaged. You see, this is the same thing we're talking about doing. Be kind, be patient, listen. Tell a story. So that's what Jesus does. He comes, he sits down, he's patient. They swarm around him. Jesus is completely calm. Everybody else, Jesus is like, okay. The academics and the Pharisees led in a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. Okay, so, all right, there you go. They stood her in plain sight and they said, teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. And this is a good translation because it eliminates the notion of like, you know, whether this is hearsay or not. It's like, boom, somebody walked in, right? Moses in the law gives order to stone such persons. What do you say? Right? Now, here's the thing. This is a really good cure for sinners. I mean, the cure is 100%. If you know some really big sinners and you go home and kill them, one problem is solved, right? I mean, you're going to have some other problems. Okay, and just for the record, I'm not encouraging any of this on the tape. But here's the thing. This is one, this is one way to cure your problems. I mean, if you, if you meet the Buddha, kill him. If you meet the sinner, kill him. This is one way. This is one way to clean up the community. Yeah, here, what's the problem, of course? Yeah, the last guy's got to turn out his own lights. I mean, this is the problem kind of with the far right in the church. You know, it's, you know how the church kind of works out, but... One of the problems with the far right in the church, you know, there are guys I like on the right. I like guys on the left side, too. We're something else. We're some other different island. But guys on the right, if you talk to them long enough, nobody's ever quite good enough for them. And I always have the sense that the last guy will have to kill himself on the far right. Because there's nobody good enough, you've got to kill him. There's nobody good enough, you've got to kill him. Pretty soon you're going to be, it's Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club. Pretty soon you're all alone, right? There's nobody quite good enough. 
Well, I mean, this is, you know, this is cleansing. That's what happens. So they stood her in plain sight in front of everybody. And, um, you know, you identify them, you publicize them, you shame them. This is all normal stuff for sinners, right? This is, you read the thing from the Pope about gossip? What does gossip do? It publicizes. It stands people up. This is exactly, this is exactly what happens with gossip. You stand people up, you call attention to them, you shame them, and you kill them. Maybe not physically, but with words. It's all very tidy. All the icky people go away. It's really, really great. You can cleanse any church, any family, any school, any neighborhood if you're just hard enough on people, right? If you want to get rid of the sinners, this is one possibility. Jesus bent down with his finger and he wrote in the dirt. They kept at him, kept poking him. Isn't that interesting? They just kept poking him, which is, one of the, which is anti-patience. This will happen to you, too. If you're kind to people, if you're patient with people, if you listen, sometimes they just keep coming. They just want to know what the answer is about where God is when I'm suffering. And part of the answer sometimes is, you know, he's there. Right? He's there. You take 9-11. Where's God on 9-11? He's in the building. Right? He's in the building. He's with people who are jumping out the windows because their choice is to be caught on fire or, you know, hit the pavement. How exactly that works out, I don't know. But here, this is the part of the reason for a crucifixion. Because it's very difficult for you to imagine a death worse than a crucifixion. Right? It's very difficult to, it's difficult to say, Jesus doesn't know what I'm going through when he's crucified, after being tortured, after a fixed trial, after being condemned because he's merciful. Right? after he healed people and he fed people and he was kind to people and he included everybody. So, I mean, when people say, you know, Jesus doesn't know what I'm going through or where is God and, you know, God doesn't know what this is all about, it's sort of like, really? Because i got a story for you about and it goes from the beginning of Holy Week to the end. So one way is, um, you know, one way you can just have it be us versus them. It's just us versus them. And it, it, it works fantastically. It works fantastically until you figure out that us is them. So I've given you the text, Romans, um, Romans 3.23. Everybody's sinned and fallen short. And that, you see, is the cure for this. The cure for what Jesus faces is to remember that we're all in it together, boys and girls. And if you think somehow that you're better than people who have really big sins, you just, you just don't know the story. I mean, the story, as the church tells it, is that everybody is a big sinner, and everybody needs, some sins are more obvious. I've told you often that I always, I always feel bad for the kids that get caught. I can see it in them coming through the door sometime on Sunday morning. I imagine, even this morning, I, I, well, I shouldn't out the kids who came in, but I'm like, you got caught last night. You could see it in their face. Like you can see their parents are like dragging them into church so they get tuned up, right? But here's the thing. That, the difference between, you know, you know, girls who get pregnant, girls who don't get pregnant, kids that get caught for drinking, kids that don't get caught for drinking. The difference is, you know, razor thin. It's often wrong place, wrong time. And if you think it's not, you just need to get to know more kids, right? If, you're, if you really knew what your friends were doing all the time and all their off hours, you would be saying to yourself, I just can't believe it. And maybe you can't believe it about yourself. There's, so here's the, here's the Jesus difference. One is, one way to fix the problem of a big sinner is to say, there's this us and them. There's all of us who are having a lot of fun and really good, and we keep the disciplines, and here we go, and we're all here having fun. And then there's all those people, right? And you know what? There's no sense in inviting them in because they'll pollute the atmosphere. They'll get ick all over us. They might be contagious. 
So what do we do? Well, we'll kill them. That's one possibility. We'll shame them, then we'll kill them. Um, the cure rate's 100%. It's a great way. They kept on badgering him. Jesus straightened up and he said, The sinless one among you go first. Throw the stone. Bending down, he wrote more in the dirt. That's so great, man. Hey, here's a solution. You know, the sinless one go first. Now, of course, you know what the setup was here. The setup was that um, if Jesus says to Stoner, he breaks Caesar's rules because the Jews didn't have the right to impose capital uh, punishment. You know that from Jesus' own trial when, when Pilate says, why don't you crucify him? And they're like, hey, we can't do that. Caesar doesn't let us do that. So Jesus in this, is in this no-win, right? This is, this is Jesus in the no-win. If he, if, he if he says stoner, he breaks Caesar's law. If he says don't stoner, he breaks Moses' law. What's the answer, right? What's the answer? What's the Jesus answer? Kobayashi Maru, right? You Trekkies? There you go, Crawford! Finally some recognition! All these years, finally I said something that hit you deep and theologically, <laughs> Right? There you go, man. This is why you should have Kobayashi Maru. You remember this? I learned this from Dave Schlusselman, which he used. I've actually printed the text here for you from Kobayashi Maru. Here it is, right? So they send you to, um, they send you to be you know, captain of a starship, and they put you in this training scenario where you can't, where you can't win, where every, everything you do is going to be wrong. You know this, right? Everything you do is going to be wrong. So what does Captain Kirk do? He reprograms the computer so that he wins, right? Turn the page. Here it is. I mean, he's asking you about Kobe Ashimaru. He says, Lieutenant, you're looking at the only Starfleet cadet who ever beat the no-win situation. you got Jesus in a no-win scenario. What does Jesus do? Kobe Ashimaru. You thought Star Trek was original material? No, it's right here in John chapter 8, right? I reprogrammed the simulation so it was possible to rescue the ship. What? He cheated. This is Jesus the cheater. Isn't that great? Jesus is a big cheater for big sinners. This is great. I changed the conditions of the test. Got accommodation for original thinking. I don't like to lose. That's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus changes the conditions of the test. Jesus bent down. He wrote with his finger in the dirt. The sinless one among you go first, so the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing this, they walked away one after another. Oldest to youngest, which is the Bible's way of saying smartest to dumbest. Old people are supposed to be smart. And when you respect them in the scriptures, old people do the right thing. So when the text says they went oldest to youngest, it really means they went smartest to dumbest. So if you're standing around with a stone in your hand and a peck of gravel for the boy, so if you think that, really, you haven't seen Monty Python? Really? I used to be able to count on that people knew this much theology. Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? The Ten Commandments and Monty Python. But no, apparently you guys are theologically illiterate. I just thought, really? A peck of gravel for the boy? Throw out your dad? All right, never mind. So here's the thing. Hearing this, they walked away, smartest to dumbest. The woman was left all alone. And now this is, this is like the most beautiful thing in Scripture. Jesus stood up, and he speaks to her. So it's just Jesus and the woman. So if you need a paradigm for next time you come to grips with a really big sinner, and you want to be just like Jesus, here it is. Jesus stood up and he spoke to her, Hey, woman, where'd everybody go? Hey, where'd everybody go? There were so many people here, it was like a swarm. Where did everybody go? And then the great thing, does anybody condemn you? 
Does no one condemn you? Does anybody? She, it's just like Jesus and her. Big sinner, son of God. Utterly sinful, holiness. Jesus looks at her and says, does anybody continue? And she's like looking around like, uh, uh, no? Right? And then Jesus says, neither do I. So imagine what's happened here. He started with, they're going to kill her. Everybody condemns her. But her community has gone away. They don't condemn her anymore. Nobody will throw a stone. Jesus himself doesn't condemn her. Does anybody condemn you? Nobody. He's like, that's right. So the community doesn't condemn her. Jesus doesn't condemn her. And most of all, she doesn't condemn herself. It's so interesting. She gets restored to her community. She gets restored to God. And she gets restored to herself. Just bing, bang, boom. Just like that. And then Jesus has this genius thing where he says, Wow, this is great. Go and sin no more, which basically means you're free, which means you don't have to sin anymore, which is everybody loves you, which is, hey, you're part of the community again, which is let's live within the grace we've been given, which is let's be merciful, which is wouldn't you like to come to church? Right? That's the story. That's how Jesus deals with, um, with sinners. He restores them to God, to themselves, and to their community. Okay? I'll give you the last thing, Winnie the Pooh, if I haven't given you this for a while. Um, You know, if you can't get it right, you know what? It's always right, Winnie the Pooh. This is the most beautiful thing. I mean, if you can't love yourself or if you have problems with sins or if you know people who are sinners, then they aren't going to maybe listen to you. You just give them this, okay? And this is the most beautiful thing. I have been foolish and deluded, said he, and I am a bear of no brain at all. Which basically is... I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you that I am. That's what this is. I am foolish and deluded, said he, and I am a bear of no brain at all. That's a great confession. Son, you made a good confession. You are the best bear in all the world, said Christopher Robin, soothingly. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he said, soothingly. Am I, said Pooh, hopefully. And then he brightened up suddenly. That is confession, that is absolution, and that is the sanctified life. It is the most glorious thing. There's only one story in the world, friends. There's only one story in the world. We just keep telling it over and over. This morning at 11, it's going to be told slightly late, but it will be uh, (laughs) the same story, okay? We got to go. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.